Welcome to the Community of Broken Spirit podcast. We are a group of people who unwittingly became a community when we found ourselves together in a business. Through years of meeting and working together, we, from different church backgrounds, discover just what it takes to love one another, what and all. As God empowered us to comprehend His incredible love, we found ourselves more and more distant from the institutional church, finding it somewhat consumed, preoccupied, and quite removed from the lives we live. It was not exactly a healthy place to be in for us and for our families. We return to his simple gospel, to know God, to be loved, and to love one another. Perhaps this place may inspire some that us before, who inadvertently found themselves without a life or church to desire after him again. Each season, we will be sharing stories of our members, sharing the raw, unedited journey of how we came to find Christ and what our lives look like today. We hope by sharing our stories, we can inspire others to avoid the mistakes we made and encourage each other to keep going. Hi there, welcome back to the seventh episode of the season four. If you are new to this podcast, I would suggest you go to the first episode of this season. Just subscribe to the podcast, then you can get all the episodes on your devices. Now, you may be surprised to learn that the founder of COPS Community, COBS, which is a community of broken spirit, and the host of this podcast was actually an atheist growing up and only turned to Christ later in her adulthood years. In this episode, you will hear the story of how Sarah encountered God in her life and became a believer. Now, let's dive into the story. In this episode, allow me to start with my story called Bringing Up Sarah, which I had published in the library section of our website, communityofbrokenspirit.org. Bringing Up Sarah As a child, I loved reading comics all the way through my 30s. The Sunday Time comic section was my favourite, but that season has long passed. Today, I'm suddenly reminded of an old comic strip in the daily papers, Bringing Up Father. I thought it was the perfect title for this book, albeit a different storyline, but indeed this is my journey of being brought up all over again throughout my childhood as a child of God, hence Bringing Up Sarah. I discovered how difficult it is to finish writing, as the more I revisit these old lessons, the more he reveals. It's a never-ending process of learning. What I know now may be quite different years later. God cannot and will not become predictable. This, to me, is the thrill of walking with God. May it delight you as much as it did for me. My Past Life I always refer to the time in my life before I met the Lord as my past life. It was as though I've died 
which I nearly did in a motor accident, which was when I first saw Jesus. The Little Red Dot I was born and raised in Singapore, a tiny city-state measuring about 700 square metres on the little island in Southeast Asia, no bigger than the size of New York City. A country of about 5 million people, surrounded by the world's largest concentration of Muslim nations, we are so small that you probably cannot see it on the world map. So small that one past Indonesian president menacingly jabbed at the world map in a threatening tone. You see, you are only a little red dot. It's stuck. Henceforth, we are also called the little red dot. Like father, like daughter. In the early 1900s, my father escaped from poverty and famine in the southern province of Guangzhou in China on a slow boat to Singapore. He married my mother during World War II after his first wife, my mother's sister, died. My mother bore him 13 children. Totally dependent on the husband for financial support and survival in those days, my mother worships anything and everything that promises her safety, health and provision for her husband and children, while my father proudly declares, I believe in only myself. He had lived through the decadent imperial rule, the devastating opium war, the nationalistic but chaotic boxer rebellion in China, and had seen enough earthquakes, famines and suffering to become cynical about God. He related how his father went on to another town to find work when a prolonged drought made it impossible for him to grow his crops. For five years, his father did not manage to send any money home while his mother would do odd jobs to feed her brood of four growing children, often just drinking porridge that had hardly any rice in it. They were so hungry that he and his siblings were forced to beg for food at the gates of the village temple. It was the most humiliating time in his life, and he would tear up every time he relates this episode in his life. Things got a little bit better when his father finally returned, but he decided he needed to do something. Some years later, he decided to leave his beloved motherland and hometown to come to Singapore. In Singapore, he struggled to make ends during the British rule as he navigated through gangland territorial fights in the Juche area where we live and through the Japanese occupation during World War II. Eventually, after the war was over in 1945, when our country became a democracy, he found success in his business after failing 18 times. He was happy that he now earns enough to provide for us and for his aging mother and siblings back in China. He came to this conclusion, there is no God. Religion is only for the gullible, a playful jab at my mother whom he adores. I adored my father, and I decided that I too will only believe in myself. Pampered and bullied. Being the youngest girl in a very traditional Chinese family means I'm the most junior in pecking order. So I'm often bullied and picked on. It did not help that my father doted on me, being his youngest girl. He often calls me Wei in Chiu my dialect, my Chinese dialect. My mother too, who generally put sons above daughters, treated me better than my sisters. She was especially horrible to my sixth sister, Eileen, who's just 11 months older than me, all because a relative made a ludicrous remark that she brought bad luck to our family. She was born in the month of the hungry ghost 
And so they surmised that she caused my father to require surgery for a stomach ailment. Being jealous that I'm more pampered and feeling the injustice of unequal treatment they felt for Eileen, my siblings picked on me and hated me with a vengeance. At least that was how I felt then. My brothers were rough and tough. Being sons, they were treated like kings in the household by my mother. We, the girls, were expected to serve them and they had priority in everything. Meals, clothing, education, etc. When I was little, I only wore boys' hand-me-downs as my mother bought girls' clothing only once a year during the Lunar New Year. One time, my younger brother sat on me and punched me in the face, leaving me with a bloodied nose. When I complained to my father, he whipped him so hard that I felt so sorry for my brother and I never reported all the bullying to my father again. The bullying got worse as I grew up and I started to become rebellious. One of my sisters let me one day and told me that if my parents didn't have so many of us, she would have had a much better life, meaning more material things and free time to date and to go out instead of having to babysit the younger siblings. Another constantly picked on me. Once, she ordered me to get a fashion magazine from the neighbourhood store in a raging storm. I was probably just about 10 then, so it was quite terrifying to have to dash across the street in the dark night, clutching the umbrella for my dear life, hoping I would not get blown away or get hit by a car. When I learned to refuse and challenge her orders, I would get verbally or physically abused. This morning, when I awoke from a long, deep sleep after finishing the first draft of this book, the Lord reminded me of an incident to put into this book. I guess in the years after I knew the Lord, He had healed me and set me free that I'd forgotten about it. It was on one evening during my mid-teens when I had another round of bullying from her that I went into the kitchen and took out a knife, wanted to slash my wrist. I stared at the knife. A voice was telling me to do it so that I will suffer no more. It will be all over and she would be blamed for it. I thought about the pain of cutting myself up, the pain it would cause my father, and at that moment, she walked in, saw the knife in my hand and started to mock me, challenging me to kill myself before walking away triumphantly. I was shaking with rage then, trying to decide between killing her or killing myself. My tears are dropping like a waterfall as I recall this incident. Anyway, going back to the moment, I decided I will not let my sister win by hurting myself. The best revenge is to do better than any of them, all of them, and then move to a place far, far away when I grow up, where I will not have to see them ever again. Books and philosophy, my escape. I found my escape in books. A voracious reader, I spent long hours poring over fairy tales and it blighted Agatha Christie classics at the neighbourhood's free library as a child, and then progressing to comics, romance, detective books, humour, science fiction, espionage, etc. as I grew. As the home was too noisy and crowded, I went to the National Library in town almost every day after school sometimes sitting on the floor between rows of books when the desks are fully occupied, to prepare for my school examinations. To unwind, I pull out books to read from the shelves, mostly non-fiction books ranging from geography to travel, philosophy and literature. 
I especially love the translated writings of Asian poets like Tagore and Khalil Gibran. It was then that I fell in love with philosophy, mainly Greek philosophy, if I remember correctly, as it provided me with the strength and the tenacity to fight. Like my father, I decided that religion is for the feeble-minded, and I will live my life guided by principles, not to be held ransom by superstition like my mother, and to what I consider irrational and unproven beliefs. Christianity was my pet peeve. My zealous Christian classmate in school had to suffer under my ability to make them look stupid when they tried to preach the gospel to me. I tore down what I thought was your very unfair and presumptuous assertions one by one. Honestly, I thought then, who gives them the right to claim that only their God is real and only those who believe in their Saviour, no matter how evil or bad, is qualified to go to heaven? This is totally pompous, unfair and illogical. As I began to grow in knowledge and self-confidence, I became also angrier and more rebellious, especially towards any bullying or injustice. My siblings balked at my open disrespect for them, and the last time I remember being slapped was when I was 18. After that incident, I had nothing but hatred for my siblings, and also resented my parents for not stopping it. Discovering Power in Jesus' Name My first taste of freedom was when I entered the University of Singapore, a somewhat commendable feat, as it was the only English university in Singapore then, making my parents rather proud of me. It was also a turning point in my life. I managed to get my mother's support to pay for the school fees and dormitory while I gave private tuition to a Japanese family to supplement my living expenses. I partied and played so hard the entire year, right until seven weeks before the exams. I had to pass all eight papers in order to advance to the next year. I could not afford to fail, thinking how disappointed and costly it would be for my parents if I had to repeat the year. I had it all figured out. I bought some notes from a senior in order to prepare for the exams. Yes, I cut classes and didn't even have the full notes. I planned five days to prepare for each paper, so I studied day at night. Into about the second week, with very little sleep, I found that I was getting fatigued, but my brains went into overdrive and I could not get to sleep at all. I didn't want to see the doctor as I do not like taking pills, so I tried other ways. Counting sheep, yes, literally, listening to classical music, jogging, swimming, etc., I played pool by myself in the early hours of the morning when sleep evaded me. Nothing worked, and then one of my classmates suggested meditation. I was desperate, so I did as he taught me. Tibetan Lamaism meditation, he says. I lay down on my bed in my dorm in total darkness and quietness. He warned me that I may encounter some dark spirits, but my eyes, though closed, must focus on that small light in my mind and follow it. Once I'm through, I will reach that state of peace, and there my mind shall find rest and sleep. Well, I did just that, and soon enough, I saw dark spirits, with many hands trying to grab me as I sang through a very dark and wet and narrow passage. I press on, ignoring them, focusing on the little light ahead, one down, I thought. But what I didn't expect was to get stuck there, 
unable to move to that desired state of mind. Suddenly, my body lightened and I froze, as I felt it lift off of the bed, just by a little wee bit. This is just my imagination, I told myself. But what do I do now? I don't seem to be able to move and to get out of that state. Open your eyes, Sarah. Open your eyes and you will see that this is not real, I told myself. But I was a bit too chicken to do it. I thought if I open my eyes and I find myself really levitating, then I will be caught in the place between darkness and light, which my friend had warned me against, and that would be disastrous as my soul would not return to my body. Experiencing the power of Jesus' name. Desperate now, I call out the names of my mother's many gods, thinking that these are Buddhist and Taoist gods and they should be on the same side. But no, I'm still stuck. At my last resort, I call out the name Jesus. At my last resort, I call out the name of Jesus, someone whom I thought is foreign and alien to our Asian culture. And in that instant, everything went back to normal. Just like a light that was suddenly switched on, I was back in my body. No more dark spirits hovering. Phew, what just happened, I asked myself. Anyhow, it stoked my curiosity about this man, Jesus. I asked people whom I knew were Christians discreetly. After all, I still had a reputation of being a staunch atheist to keep, especially with my siblings, some of whom had started worshipping something quite occult, which promised them success and wealth, which I scoffed at. Finally, I decided on one of them that linked me to a navigator by the name of Karen, someone I didn't know but was sharing the word on campus. I decided then, okay, I think Jesus is real. At least his name itself is powerful. So I decided to take that step to give him the benefit of the doubt that he is the Messiah and did the salvation thing with the navigator. Unfortunate first visit to the church. Karen took me to a nearby church that weekend. But unfortunately, or fortunately, we arrived late. Service already started and ushers were counting the offerings collected on the table outside the church. One of them casually remarked, Today the people are very stingy. I was taken aback. I turned to Karen and said with some disgust, Is this what church is? If this is the case, I don't need this. I do believe in your Jesus, but from now on, I will just go one-on-one -on -one with him. Face to face with Jesus at their door. Second encounter that changed everything. I went out to read the Bible cover to cover on my own, finding it quite engaging and fascinating, but also a bit taken aback by the brutality of God's commands in the Old Testament. But I loved the poetic and paradoxical way Jesus spoke. I still have many unanswered questions, things I used to challenge those Christians in school, but somehow they didn't matter anymore. Jesus and his teachings intrigued me. I thought he's very much a renegade like me in his time. Slowly, I warmed up to Jesus, but I do not believe in preaching to anyone as I respect other people's right to believe, just as I want people to respect mine. This went on and I graduated from university. And oh, I forgot to mention, I found sleep after the encounter and managed to pass all my exams in all three years without a hitch. And I landed a great job with Arthur Anderson and Company, one of the world's top public accounting firms then, something I knew my grades did not qualify me for. It was Jesus' answer to my prayer request. 
It was during one of the job assignments about two years into my first job that I met Jesus again, this time up close and personal, where I experienced my second near-death experience. How did you enjoy our podcast so far? If you do enjoy it, would you please consider to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review in the Apple Podcast? So it helps us to reach more people with God's love. In next week's episode, we find out how one car accident changed Sarah's life. I will see you in the next episode. Hi there. If you found that this episode resonates with you or if you would like to share your story, please drop a review at Apple Podcast. It will serve a fresh dose of blessings to those of us who work so hard to produce the content of this podcast. By doing so, you will also help more people find this podcast. If you are interested, we also have a blog at communityofbrokenspirit.org. Again, it's a community of brokenspirit.org where we post twice a week stories and parts of our members' journals from past and present years. Thank you so much. Remember, you matter.